installment of everyone's favorite storytelling podcast. Your face is so peeling. <laughs> it's so... Oh, guys, I'm so sorry to interrupt. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't realize. I'm... We went to the beach the other day. Spoilers beach, for beach, self-care We went corner. to the beach. Yeah. Um, and I'm a stupid idiot. We all were stupid idiots. And didn't wear sunscreen. We all didn't wear sunscreen. And I'm not like badly sunburned, but I've hit that point where I'm starting to peel and I feel like, you know, uh, on a croissant mm-hmm. when it, it's got all those like little flakes after you're done eating and it covers the yes. plate and you just like lick them off. Sure. That's what's going on with my skin right now yeah, is yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm shedding. I have to go out in public like this. Yeah. Oh boy. God, you look like you got kicked out of Survivor after only six days. <laughs> what do we What do we do on this podcast? We make Leo? fun of your we face. We make fun of my my your dumb face. Okay, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Yeah. Before we we get into it, I do have to say that we were not the dumbest people on the beach. There was a group behind oh us. Oh my god! That said, quote, "Oh, it's after three. We'll be fine. The sun's different now." Yeah. What? What yeah. does that mean? Well, after, what do they know that we don't? Obviously, they know that at 3 o'clock, the son puts his card in the little check thing, and it, it, then he's on vacation time. What a From bizarre... 3 to 6, the son is on vacation time. That's the son's time. How would you... I don't I don't mean to, like... I don't mean to, well, actually, these people, but what in the fuck are they talking about? How do you arrive to that conclusion? No, no, no. See, well, actually, as if we would go over and be like, well, actually, you're filled of shit. Three. But- it's 3 p.m. Time for dark sun time for dark, <laughs> dark sun <laughs> sorry guys it's three o'clock this is the sun's time i'm gonna go catch a movie dunkirk that's what i'm seeing i'm behind on my summer movies i'm the sun <laughs> all right so what do we do speaking of movies 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 and movies while on this podcast liam and i each tell each other a true story from our preferred mediums. I like to talk about video games and internet culture. And your name is Tom Lockney. It is. My name is Liam Senior. I like to talk about the show business of movies and TV, baby. All right, and I believe, Liam, you're going first this week. Yeah. Oh, every week we pick a theme. This theme was animals. Animal cruelty. Animal cruelty. That was the theme. <laughs> yeah. 1889 Wyoming movies <laughs> no the johnson county war also known as the war on powder river and the wyoming range war hey guys pick one name it's all you need it's all you, you need one it's well then again world war one also the great war but that's it that's two and they didn't think there would be another war after yeah. that so they immediately shelved that name so the johnson county war took place between 1889 and 1893 and the conflict started when cattle companies ruthlessly persecuted supposed wrestlers throughout the grazing lands of Wyoming. Violence finally culminated in Powder River Country when the ranchers hired armed gunmen to invade the county and wipe out or scare off the small settlers that they were competing against. What the fuck? When the word came out of the gunmen's initial incursion into the territory, the small farmers and ranchers, as well as the state lawmen, formed a posse of 200 men to fight them, which led to a grueling standoff. The conflict ended when the United States Cavalry, on the orders of President Benjamin Harris, relieved the two forces. Seems like pretty good fodder for a movie. Oh, really? Yes. Well, it was made a movie. That movie is called Heaven's Gate, and we are going to talk about it today. Part one, the deer auteur. Deer is spelled like the animal. Uh, so the 1970s was known as New Hollywood. Quick film history lesson. I think we'll go into New Hollywood one day because it 
was kind of a crock of shit. <laughs> um, like, great movies were being made, but it's somewhat responsible for why there's only, like, white dudes in ba- backwards baseball caps and shitty beards that can make movies. Oh. There you go. But New Hollywood was basically, like, a bunch of these young directors were auteurs. They were filming their own movies and writing the scripts and making it gritty and grimy and wiping their ass with the film or Ugh. something gross Wiping like their that. ass with their naked hand. Yeah, with their naked, naked hand. hand. For art. Ugh. And this was the 70s. So you got people like Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, uh, a little hotshot named Georgie Lucas. Never heard of him. Um, well, um, actually, that's weird. Hi, it's me. <laughs> I've been hiding in Liam's bathroom. You have a bunch of these independent filmmakers coming around and suddenly Hollywood is noticing them and giving them big budgets. This is how we get Star Wars. This is how we get The Godfather. Unfortunately, uh, not everyone from New Hollywood was prepared to make that transition. Say what you will about George Lucas. He was ready to go from no budget to high budget. So these projects were starting to show that Wonderkins were like not actually good all not the time. Wonderkins, yeah. yeah, like, hey, maybe uh, supply people with a team. Turns out you need a group of people to make a movie, not just one white dude in a shitty beard and a baseball cap. Wait, really? Because I've been reading a lot of IMDb comments that would beg to differ. Uh, Your first mistake. In 1971, rising new Hollywood director Michael, who boy, it's either Kimono, Simino, I am going to pronounce it. I know whichever one I pick is going to be incorrect. Spell it for me while I rub dead skin off of my face. C-I-M-I-N-O. Okay, cool. Simino? I think let's go for Simino. Yeah. I apologize if we sell if we uh pronounce it wrong. Um, in 1971, he submitted an original script for Heaven's Gate, which was then called the Johnson County War. That's that little yeah. tale I told. Uh, but the project was shelved because it failed to attract big name talent. Eight years later, he uh, Simino had two huge hits in a row: 1974's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, and to the two Academy Award winner for Best Director and Best Picture, 1978's The Deer Hunter. Oh, wow. Okay. It's a really fucking good movie. Deer Hunter's great. He was the hottest director in Hollywood at that moment where where he was basically like, all right, I get to do whatever I want. I wrote the script eight years ago, and I want to fucking do it. So at this time, United Artists, they're the company that distributed the film, um, their two management teams had a dispute with the parent company, and then they were like, fuck it, we're going to form our own pictures. They went to form Orion Pictures, which has made a lot of really great movies. Mm-hmm. So two new guys were hired, Stephen Bach and David Field. Uh, they would go to oversee the production of Heaven's Gate and would basically go head-to-head with Simino himself. Wow. They wanted Simino to be their big get. They wanted him to be like, when they would go into a Hollywood party, people would be like, those are the guys who got Michael Simino. They were going to be like the next big producing Mm. team. Part two, The Deer Hunter. So they saw an advanced print of The Deer Hunter, and Bach and Field were like, this This is the guy. This 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 is who we want. We want him. We want to make his next movie. So, Simino's next project was Heaven's Gate, and he said, I can make it for you for $7.5 million. And they were like, okay, how about $12 million? Oh. And, and Michael Simino was like, wow. oh, you don't know how negotiation works. Oh, more money. I like it. Basically, they came to him and said, hey, we want to give you final say over everything. You get final say on, on the last cut. We want to bend over backwards for you. Yeah. Do you want to have sex with us? Essentially. We can make that happen. So, during pre-production... Uh, Simino had insisted on casting Chris Christopherson and Christopher Walken. They were like, great. Those are two great actors. Let's bring them on board. Who should we get for the female lead? And they were like, Diane Keaton or Jane Fonda. 
But Simino wanted French actress Isabelle Huppert, who recently was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. Um, the problem with Huppert was that she did not speak English very well, nor could she read English almost at all. Oh, that's Because, you see, she was French. I see. Right. Why did he, why did he want her then? Well, no one knows. And while researching, um, hold on, while researching, can I, can I saw I... a picture of them next to each other, and I think I may have figured it out. See, <laughs> Isabelle Huppert, oh, no! Isabelle Huppert is a very cute lady. Michael Simeo kind of looks like he's made out of Chicago sausages. <laughs> and I had a feeling that this was maybe a little more insidious mm. casting. Uh, Simeo, you, Simino, you lumpy horn dog. So he lied to the... That's so fucking gross. It's gross. That's now, so fucking this gross. This is all conjecture. We don't know if this is true, but like... Diane Keaton and Jane Fonda were at the top of their game in the late 70s, and the fact what? that UA was, like, willing to have three huge names in the lead, but he was like, no, French actress. It's, it is weird, like, yeah. this is his pet project, he really wants this to be, like, the best it can be, and then he hires somebody who's, like... Who's gonna have who's, a really thick I'm accent. sure is a very great actress, but sure, not sure. qualified for the role? It's not, it's, it's like, it sucks to say this, but in this movie, you would have to speak a very specific dialect of english and like if this character would have a french accent everyone would be like what yeah that would why be very so he lied to the two guys to to bach and field and was like no she can read she can speak english and then during table reads they were like what what is happening so then field approached simeo and said uh if you can if we can come to an agreement in 48 hours like i'll we'll, we'll just bury the hatchet and Simeo told him to go fuck himself and hung up the phone. Wow. So all the executives then put their foot down and said, no, we're not going to let you cast her. Uh, she was cast. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes it's bad when you give directors, like, total fucking control over a project. Yeah, dude. So after building town-sized sets, curating 19th century locomotives, and casting roughly 1,200 extras, principal photography of Heaven's Gate began. After six days, Simino was five days behind schedule. Doofa doofa. Had spent $900,000 for a minute of what he deemed usable footage. Are you fucking kidding me? No. What, what, what happened to the, how does it cost $900,000 for that? Dumbassery? I guess so. How the fuck? Oh man, movies make me so mad because Heaven's Gate was literally costing a million dollars a minute. That's ridiculous. Because two weeks later, they were 10 days behind, 15 pages behind on the script, and had only two hours of footage with only three minutes of usable content. I'm sorry, producers. I don't know what to tell you. Simino's been in his trailer for three days now, <laughs> and he's just been jerking off the <laughs> whole time. Frankly, it's a little impressive. So he, the reason that so much time had passed and like everything was terrible was that Simino was kind of going crazy. He wanted to make the best American classic of all time. He wanted to make Gone with the Wind. He he went over. He went crazy with attention to detail and period accuracy. Um, except with his one French actress. One French actress. Uh, not to mention, he would ask for take after take on every single scene. Uh, one entire day of footage was devoted to, like, a single shot. It sounds like such a fucking... Making movies sounds like such a fucking nightmare. It is. So you had those three stars, but they weren't the only stars of Heaven's Gate. You also had Joseph Cotton, John Hurt, Jeff Bridges, Sam Watterson, Tom Noonan, Mickey Rourke, and Brad Dorif. Just to name a few. Oh my god. Yeah, and here's the thing though, is that like, 
They had to go through rigorous training. They were subjected to what they would call Camp Semino. Um, cast oh, members were, were woken up early in the morning to attend writing lessons, shooting lessons, dancing lessons, cockfighting lessons, roller skating lessons, and even Yugoslavian dialect lessons from hours on end. This training seems super excessive, but hey, man, you can't, you can't, you can't rush make, you perfection. can't make, you can't make art without torture. Art is suffering. So much damage was exchanged between the director and United Artists. There was a producer that was just a friend of Simino's, which is why she got the job. And UA fired her behind Simino's back and brought in someone who could try to like rail production. Oh man! So then Simino went fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, and just went even more nuts. But Bach and Field crossed their fingers and hoped that Heaven's Gate would turn out like Apocalypse Now, another <laughs> film that had maybe okay. This is awful and a nightmare. It's this. Our our director is impossible to work with way over budget and behind schedule maybe it'll turn out perfect yeah well that's what happened to apocalypse now it was way over budget it was super behind schedule um but here's another thing about apocalypse now there's a scene where they just trade straight up chop off a cow's head like it's super normal yeah a funny thing happened on the way to johnson county oh did it now part three the deer killer oh god <laughs> The following HAH film review is compiled from archival information and documentation and may not reflect AHA's current criteria for animal act review and rating procedures. So this is basically um, an organization, the AHA, I think it's the Animal Humane Association, or um, and they just make sure that like animals aren't dying on sets of your films. But they at this time, they were just like a grassroots thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The animal action in the film includes an actual cockfight. Oh, God. Several horse trips and a horse being blown up with the rider on its back. People who worked on the set verified more animal animal abuse, such as chickens being decapitated and steers being bled in order to use their blood to smear on actors instead of using stage blood. A lawsuit was filed by the owner of an abused horse on set against the producers, director, the production company, and the horse wrangler. The owner cited wrongful injury and breach of contract for wolfering deprying her um, Arabian gelding of proper care. The suit also cited severe physical damage, behavioral trauma, and disfigurement. The could, case was settled out of court. Could you, could you, hang on a second. I, I don't mean to like pause this, but like, could you fucking imagine if we treated actors, like the, the human actors, like we do or did animals on movie sets? Like, well, you, you we, we need this uh-huh. death scene to look really realistic, so... We're gonna have to actually shoot you with a real gun and a full fucking real bullet. Oh, Tom, we have so many more stories to get to in the future. Oh my god. Yeah. Tom, I hate to tell you this, there's a whole thing called snuff films, and we're gonna talk about them someday. Oh, no. Um So AHA was barred from monitoring animal action on the set of Heaven's Gate, and they protested the film. Um, and they organized picket lines outside the movie theaters while local humane societies did the same across the country. And the controversy surrounding the animal action in Heaven's Gate prompted both SAG and AMPTP to contractually authorize AHA oversight of animals, films, and media. That's good. Then this section is from the AV Club. The AHA, which was pointedly not allowed on set, accused the production of killing at least four horses, bleeding other horses from the neck, disemboweling cows, accidentally blowing up a horse and its rider with dynamite, (laughs) the rider survived, staging actual cockfights and decapitating a chicken. Part four, the deer in the headlights. This film was a huge flop. The final cut finally premiered at New York Cinema's Cinema One 
sorry, New York City's Cinema One on November 19th, 1980. It was a disaster. During the intermission, the audience was so subdued that Simino was said to have asked why no one was drinking the champagne. He was reportedly told by his publicist, because they hate the movie, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> New York Times critic Vincent Canby panned the film, calling it something quite rare in movies these days, an unqualified disaster, comparing it to, comparing it to a forced four-hour walk tour of one's own living room. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, he then went on to say it failed so completely that you might suspect Mr. Simino sold his soul to obtain the success of the deer hunter and the devil has just come around to collect. There's a, there's a special beauty, uh, in critics getting like fucking mean about a film. After a sparsely attended one week run, uh, UA pulled the film from any further releases and postponed a full worldwide release. It only grossed 1.3 million on its 44 million budget, but this is the film that is responsible for a little credit that comes at the end of movies. This film is the reason why you see that no animals were harmed in the making of this picture. Oh, man. Not Ben-Hur, where five horses and a stuntman died. <laughs> Not Milo and Otis, oh where 20 kittens were killed. What? How? Some were thrown off a cliff into why? the river. Because we'll get to Milo and Otis one day, but it was too much of a downer for me to do the whole story. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Or Milo and Otis, where a pug was filmed in the same scene as a wild grizzly bear. Uh, okay, it has been a hot minute since we've had a, a story where at the end we we come down to the, the opinion that movies are fucking bad, actually, and yet here we are. It was Michael Simino's dumb movie that, about the most boring state in America where we finally put our boots on and said, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill maybe, animals for maybe art. Maybe we shouldn't torture these fucking animals. Maybe we shouldn't bleed them. It's a film! The point is that it's not fucking real! That's the whole point! And they took a fucking... They bled horses from the neck to put their real blood on an actor! That's ridiculous! It is ridiculous that we would put real blood on an actor for a fake movie! That's the end of my story. No animals were harmed in the writing of the story, but I did eat yogurt while writing it, so if you're a vegan... I don't know. Sorry, bud. Fuck off. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Hey, I'm Liam. And I'm Eric, and we host an anime podcast. Hold on, hold on. It's it's funny. I, I don't like anime. And I do like anime. And we watch it, and we review it, and I Well, try... I review it, and then you derail everything. Yes. Um, it's called the Shmanime Podcast. It's on the Major Cast Network every other Wednesday. Do we commit to that one? Did that happen? Oh, fuck, it's Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> Every other Tuesday <laughs> on the Major Cast Network or iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Probably. We're back. That was a great ad. A dinosaur story. Time for Tom to tell a fun story. Time for Tom to tell a tantalizing tale. Like all the alliteration is right there, and you just drive down Easy Street. Prologue. In March of 1980, Am I supposed to be writing prologues for this story? a group of folks form a small group in response to the poor treatment of animals in shelters. They are headed by a woman named Ingrid Newkirk, who was appalled by the inhumane conditions at the shelter she worked at. She has since described coming to work early 
to euthanize animals, sometimes dozens a day, so that they would no longer have to endure cruel treatment at the hands of the shelter workers. Hang on. Oh, good. Do I get to watch a live euthanization? No, 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 no. I have to give you the actual quote because it's fucking insane. This quote is featured on Ingrid's Wikipedia page. Good lord. Quote. I went to the front office all the time and I would say, John is kicking the dogs and putting them into freezers. Or I would say, they are stepping on the animals, crushing them like grapes, and they don't care. I would go to work early, before anyone got there, and I would just kill the animals myself. Because I couldn't stand to let them go through that. I must have killed a thousand of them, sometimes every day. Some of those people would take pleasure in making them suffer, and it was my duty to save them. That's not a weird thing to say! Who, why were they throwing dogs in the freezer? Tom, why did he put a dog in the freezer? I don't know, because apparently the shelter workers were bad people. So they start small. In 1981, they garner national attention when they exposed the torture of 17 macaque monkeys committed by a Maryland researcher in what will be known as the Silver Spring Monkeys. Due to their efforts, the United States government organizes the first ever police raid on a U.S. animal laboratory and amends the United States Animal Welfare Act in 1985. The monkey case would last a full 10 years as the organization attempted to gain custody of the monkeys and would prove profoundly influential on the group and its tactics. By the end of their legal battle, what was once described as five people in a basement had grown into an international movement consisting of over 350,000 members. We know them as PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Their interactions with the video game community is the focus of my story. See, during the course of the Silver Spring Monkey case, they decided to play dirty. It's, it's remembered as this virulent, bitter legal conflict wherein PETA dished out accusations of perjury, fraud, and monkey murder. Course. They have since gotten more. Don't call it monkey murder. It's gonna sound <laughs> so much more adorable than it is. They have since monkey murder. They have since gotten more creative with how they spread their message, though the aggressive attitude remains. In their crusade for animal rights, they have engaged in pie throwing, soaking money in fake blood, crawling through the streets of Paris wearing leg hold traps, and sexualizing vegetarianism. <laughs> they have a uh, uh, people that they call lettuce ladies, which are women who uh, wear like bikinis made out of lettuce. PETA really likes to sexualize women in a really gross way. They're the fucking worst. Guys, this is the first media major story where part of me just wants to leave and have Tom do a solo episode. <laughs> they target a plethora of companies and organizations that partake in some very real animal cruelty, such as fast food chains and SeaWorld. Sometimes, though, the animals being harmed don't actually exist, are, technically speaking, not animals, and not real. Wait, what? This has never stopped PETA, however. Wait, what? Who have taken it upon themselves to lash out at the video game industry on several occasions, releasing several pointed parody games on their website. Oh God, everything is awful. I sat world. down. I sat down no. and played through the ones specifically re referencing existing video games. There's like, I think 20 on their website. I looked at seven. That's right. This is one of those rare episodes where Tom does a list. These are seven PETA parody video games. You picked a pack of PETA parody playable parliaments? Positively. Perfect. Number one, starting small. One of their earliest projects, Super Chick Sisters, is a Mario <laughs> Brothers right, parody. Bye everyone. Later Tom. Thanks that, for having me on your podcast. I'm giving media majors to you now. That protests KFC, Kentucky Fried Cruelty, as PETA likes to call it. Of course they do. Rather than Mario. It features three possible playable characters, 
Nugget and Chiquette, the titular Chick Sisters, and Pamela Anderson as an unlockable character. I hate the world. I hate the world and I want to get off. The story begins as Pamela Anderson dressed <laughs> What? Dressed as... What? Sorry, dude, that is a fucked up sentence to read to me. The story begins when Pamela Anderson... Liam, it gets worse. Dressed as Princess Peach... It's about to unveil footage of KFC's animal cruelty live on the news when she is kidnapped and the footage is stolen. Toad, who is watching the broadcast, calls out to Mario and Luigi, but alas, they have played too much Wii and can no longer feel their arms. They, by the way, refer to this uh, condition as Weedus. What is happening? Uh, wait, hold on a second. What? Weedus. They call it Weedus. I think what they want to do is Wee-itis, but they should have given hold on, hold on. three eyes in so the middle. What are, so what is it called? Weedus. What a bunch of teenage dirtbags. <laughs> Baby. Fortunately, Nugget and Chiquette are also watching and spring into action. The game has you travel through what I guess is canonically the Mushroom Kingdom. See, I mean, Mario and Luigi are there. Killing robot spiders with the head of the colonel. What? Yeah, they're robot spiders, but their body is Colonel Sanders' head. It's, it's... I'm Fucked Colonel Sanders, up. and I'm gonna make a web and eat your ba- eat your insides <laughs> from a baby's living. Uh, you also free chicks and learn about the various Sick, ways bro. in which KFC tortures chickens at factory farms from human protesters that are smaller than your player character. It's fucking weird. Chickhead is Luigi. Uh, Nugget, Nugget is Mario. Mario. How did Nintendo not come in and be like, hey, guess what? Suing ya. Uh, because it's parody, so it's protected under parody laws. I feel like even Nintendo can get their ways around parody laws. Oh, probably, but they they didn't. That's so weird. See, this is, okay, they go after fan-made games that everyone loves instead of not trying to implement that into their system, but they let shit like this go now. It is, it is totally bizarre. So counterintuitive to how you run a fucking business. It doesn't control particularly well. You move, like, every surface is in a Mario ice level. It's fucking infuriating. Oh, that's awful. But it's, it's like a surprisingly competent little game. It's, like, not super hard. It's a good time waster. Two. Cooking Mama Kills Animals! I wanna die! This is a parody of the popular cooking minigame franchise, Cooking Mama. Mama. On the start screen, Cooking Mama wields a bloody butcher's knife, is covered in blood herself, and holds a dead turkey by the throat. It's bruised, dead eyes gazing sadly outwards. Yum. I should also note, Cooking Mama like did not smile at any point during the, the meat of this game. Pun intended. <laughs> the player is tasked with ghoulish minigames such as plucking the turkey's feathers, removing its insides, stuffing it, removing its head, and cooking it. The player is ranked by how nice or mean they were, with the highest ranking being meaner than mama and the lowest being too nice. High scoring players will also receive certain unlockable rewards such as wallpapers, PETA information material, and the official video for Paul McCartney's glass walls. At the end of the game, it tells you. Thanks to you, Mama has had a change of heart. Whoa, series arc. And unlocks a final bonus level, Mama Loves Animals, wherein right. Cooking Mama wears a powered-by tofu apron, sports a button on her head, uh, on her head bandana that says, Go Veg. I hate aggressively bad activism more than anything in the... F and I don't mean bad, like, negative. I mean bad, like, like harmful. poorly done and harmful. Yeah. We should also say, like... PETA kills animals. Yeah, they, they unnecessarily like, kill, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, thousands of animals. Most people who are, like, pro-animal, like, do not birds and stuff, are like, PETA is bad. Yeah. In the final cutscene, Mama cradles a live turkey and, employs, and implores the player to take the pledge, go veg. Three, 
new Super Chick sisters. <laughs> the sisters are back, but this time they've got mustaches. So now <laughs> these these grotesque, massive chicks have mustaches. Tom, just because these chicks don't fall under your standards of what <laughs> chick beauty is. <laughs> the story begins with the Chick sisters attending the opening of Pamela Anderson, returning character. Uh, her new vegetarian restaurant, Double Delicious. Because, yeah, right. Like, because, like, get so it? Pamela Anderson has, has large like, breasts, double D. Well, here's, here's the thing. Why does Peter not like. Why does Peter think women are sex objects? I have no it's idea. really weird. Uh, uh, Tom, this is really fucking bumming me out. So, unfortunately, the opening of her restaurant has also caught the eye of the evil Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald is evil, though. He's searching for a new toy for his next unhappy meal, and Pam is just what he's looking for. All right, hold on. I'm gonna. I want. I want to take a quick break to just say that um, as someone who like wants to write jokes for a living, uh, when I hear gold like that, the unhappy meal, unhappy it's meal, like, I what know. am I doing? I know. What right? am I trying to? How do? could How could we ever hope to make anybody laugh? We'll Man. never come up with anything as good as unhappy meal. Did they come up with that, or did they outsource a lot of the writing? Just as Pamela is about to cut the ribbon. Oh yeah, they all refer to her as Pam. They're like on a first name basis, like familiar basis with Pamela Anderson. Uh, just as she's about to cut the ribbon, the Hamburglar rushes out and kidnaps her in front of everyone. More like the Pam Burglar. Mario reads about the kidnapping I online. I said more like the Pam Burglar. Okay, that's pretty good. Mario reads about the kidnapping online, but bemoans that he's been too busy spending his time with other things. Quote, Mamma mia! If only I hadn't been busy playing soccer, practicing basketball, preparing for the Olympics, making sequels, and grooming my manly mustache. Why are they trying to shame physical activity? I don't he hops into his Mario Kart license plate mustache rides, all caps. Saying, okay, that's so many letters for a license plate. It's a very wide license plate. He says that he hopes he isn't too late and that Miyamoto doesn't call with another game offer. This time, instead of humans, the Chick Sisters get their McDonald's animal cruelty facts from massive chicks that also canonically live in the Mushroom Kingdom now. I guess so. There's a Save the Cheerleader, Save the World reference? Sure. Timely. Evergreen? Yeah. Save the princess, save the chickens. Ironically enough, uh, you get a fish suit, which will be ironic later with another PETA game. Mm. Uh, literal catfish speak to you. Get it? Because, like, cat it's two different it's words. It's two animals. It's two animals. Uh, at one point, an activist calls out Mario for being cruel to Yoshi's and claims that they end up as Nintendog food in Nintendo slaughterhouses. A really okay, weird okay. bit of world building. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand Why this. Why would you? I don't understand this universe because, like, the, okay, like, Yoshi's are real, but Nintendo creates video games <laughs> and chops them up into food and puts them in video games, but that is also real. I'm really confused here. Like, I'm so confused. Why? Why would you? Why would you add it into the universe that like Nintendo food is made out of Yoshi? I think it's How supposed to be like work? a joke about people eating horses, which is a thing that really doesn't happen that often. Oh, I don't. I don't understand. Even it. though we should, because there's so many fucking horses. God, all these games fucking own. Tom was telling me before recording that like, oh, PETA is actually good. PETA's actually fucking amazing. 
I'm making avant-garde video I games. I think I'm gonna join PETA now because their video games are fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's not the reason to join. That's, that's, people are just like, I'm gonna vote for Donald Trump because it'd be funny. No, I would straight up, I would straight up recommend that people play this game and the other ones because their stories fucking go places at one point. Yeah, that's nuts that Yoshi has made a Nintendo At food. one point, Bowser makes a reference to watching a Pamela Anderson movie on Netflix. Netflix exists in the Mario world. They binge, they binge watch Teen Wolf and Degrassi on it. You can't watch Teen Wolf on Netflix. Fuck, in, in fucking Super Mario. Hey, listen, it's all- You know what, fuck There's it. no rules to throw with this shit. Outback Steakhouse! Yeah, you can fucking Steakhouse! They have, Yoshi, we're eating Yoshis! They have it's episodes made of, Yoshis. of Teen Wolf on Netflix in the Super Mario Brothers universe that have not aired yet in ours, and that's bullshit. I have never not, I have not once in my life have I thought about what a Yoshi would taste like. Kirby, sure. Jigglypuff, maybe every day. But Yoshi, Yoshi was my friend. Four, Super Tofu Boy. Fuck off. In response to Super Meat Boy, a game about a sentient square of meat in love uh, with a sentient square made of bandages, PETA crafted Super Tofu Boy. Why? The opening cutscene displays Bandage Girl falling in love with tofu, tofu Boy and Meat Boy becoming enraged, choking her, and kidnapping her. It is kind of fucking weird. That's, Meat Boy, the story about Meat Boy is such a, like, Super Meat Boy is such a great, like, scrappy game development, like, making this awesome thing. Why are you dragging them? Because it's meat. But even so... Because he's made out of meat. That's so petty. It's so weird. That's it so petty. It doesn't It doesn't even, like, endorse killing animals. No, it's a think? fucking sentient character. I couldn't get too far into this one. Uh, it's, it's a pretty poorly made game with unresponsive controls and bizarre design mentality surrounding your jump momentum, which are the two things that make Super Meat Boy fun to play. Uh, the developers of Super Meat Boy actually really got a kick out of this and ended Good. up adding Tofu Boy as a playable character in Super Meat Boy. Ah, what a great response. He, 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 Peter probably fucking hated that. And Tofu Boy in Super Meat Boy controls poorly, cannot jump as high or as far, and is all around like them fucking dunking on Peter. It's hilarious. Oh, that makes me feel good. Five, Mario kills Tanuki. Okay, this is, I am on board for this. Here's, here's the premise of the game, uh, given by the game. When on a mission to rescue the princess, Mario has been known to use any means necessary to defeat his enemy, even wearing the skin of a raccoon dog to give him special powers. Yeah. Tanuki may just be a suit to Mario games, but in real life, Tanuki are raccoon dogs who are skinned alive for their fur. By wearing Tanuki, Mario is sending the message that it's okay to wear fur. Play Super Tanuki Skin 2D and help Tanuki reclaim his fur. Uh, this has been pointed out by others, but it bears repeating. The Tanuki is both a real-life raccoon dog and a mythical shape-shifting creature from Japanese folklore. Wait, hold on. How can it be both real and fictional? Because, because like... Are they just giving powers to a real animal? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, like the Tanuki in, in Japanese folklore is, like, a shape-shifter. And that's what Mario is wearing in his... In Mario Kills Tanuki, Mario holds the severed head of a Tanuki while wearing its bloody, oozing skin. Yum. The game itself is an endless runner. Uh, you play as the skinned Tanuki brought back to life by your rage, I guess. They don't really like provide a reason for that. So that they're gonna fucking, no, we don't need to do story on that. But they'll write in the in the margins of their other game that dog food is made out of goddamn Yoshi. What is cat food made out of Birdos? Mario flies above you as you pursue him through a blood-soaked hellscape. His Tanuki suit shooting out geysers of blood as he floats. 
I don't know if there's a win state to this one. I couldn't get, I, like, again, it's not a very well-made game. I didn't get very far in it. Six, Pokemon Black and Blue. Yeah, I did hear Pokemon music. Gotta free them all. Quote, as battling Pokemon grew in popularity, generations of children were growing up believing that Pokemon exist for no other reason than to be used and abused by humans. Yep. Children learned about dominance instead of compassion. In this, no. wor in this world, everyone's a top. <laughs> well, <laughs> all Pokemon trainers are for sure tops. tops. Without question. <laughs> That's fucking canon. Hair, Ash, none. Except Ash Ketchum. Ash Ketchum is a fucking bottom. No, that, he doesn't know it yet. He's a top. He's a bottom who thinks he's a top. <laughs> oh my god. Also, like, the point of every single episode of the Pokemon show and movie is to have empathy and compassion for your Pokemon. So, yeah. ready to your fucking research, PETA. Continu Listen to Shmanime's episode 6, 16, 26, and 36. Continue quote. While Pokemon faced the worst abuses, children also started bullying each other until one Pokemon decided he'd had enough. Mr. Mime. Scyther. Pikachu. Oh. A lone Pikachu, bruised, battered, but alive, turns on its trainer, who fights it with a baseball bat and an empty bottle. <laughs> Classic Pokemon battle moves make an appearance in the game, such as Quick Attack and Thundershock, but there are also many other more Fuck orthodox options available to the player. <laughs> Pikachu can also group hug and protest. I want to die. Speaking of which, Pikachu understands and speaks English in the game. Sure. Upon defeating its trainer, Pikachu says, Pokemon are not yours to abuse. We exist for our own reasons. <laughs> Nurse Joy joins you shortly thereafter and regales you with a haunted story of Pokemon abuse. Quote, I can no longer look into the eyes of the Pokemon brought to me to be patched up because when I do, all I see is their suffering. <laughs> as you progress, you obtain more and more Pokemon as you free them, each bringing new moves to the table, such as shame. I love Pokemon. This game is fucking amazing. It's fucking hilarious. Shame. It's got like a really good sense of humor, actually. I kind of don't want to ruin the rest of it. Finally, we end at Pokemon Red, White, and Blue. Fuck off. Well, it's a very similar experience to Pokemon Black and Blue. It has a different message in mind. Quote, For generations, <laughs> humans have claimed to love Pokemon. But if Pokemon came to our world and saw how we treated animals, would they love us back? Would they feel that Pokemon games have a part in reducing our empathy for animals? Would they feel like it's completely ridiculous that Nintendo releases two versions of essentially the same game and then has the audacity to release a slightly different version a couple of years later? Whoa, wait a minute. What's this? What are your priorities, PETA? And what would humans do if they got their hands on Pokemon in the real world? In the game, McDonald's has discovered a portal into the Pokeverse and oh begins sending its various mascots to hunt and kill Pokemon so that they may become Me. food. Fortunately, oh, I would totally eat a McJigglypuff, though. <laughs> Fortunately, the Pokemon manages to enter our world and fight back against the McDonald's menace. The game features moments such as the Hamburglar beating a Pokemon unconscious with a crowbar and Pikachu getting upset at McDonald's for using its likeness, those exact words, to sell food. Pina, what are you doing? Pina, who are you getting to design these games? You asked earlier about Nintendo's comment on this, um, and they did actually talk about uh, the Pokemon ones. Nintendo and the Pokemon Company take the inappropriate use of our products and intellectual property seriously. And that's all they've had to say. I implore everyone to go play these games. They're fucking hilarious. They're that so bad. So They're so bad, and it's fucking hilarious. And and they like, oh man, it'll just like brighten your day. Um, but that's my story for this week. Go to peta.org/features/games to play these games and more, including the one that they made with Morrissey. It takes strength to be 
an asshole <laughs> as much as Morris is. That is an obscure Smith's joke. All right, everybody. Well, now it's time for our favorite part, and we hope your favorite part too, of the podcast, the self-care corner. Because sometimes on this show, we talk about stuff that stresses us out and gets us real yelly. Like, there was a lot of yelling on this episode. Yep. And so we'd like to talk about a fun thing that happened in our lives that really just brightened up our day. I'm going to start off. We got to go to the beach last for Labor Day. Oh, my God, guys. I haven't been to the beach in such a long time. Except for that one time uh, when I went to E3, but I didn't get in the water because it was at night and I'm scared of night swimming. Um, and we just kind of like hung out on the beach, caught some waves, burned our skin. There was a group of people behind us who just came to the beach to smoke weed there, and no, it no, was no. super weird. They came, they came like as a huge group to hang out. One person brought a joint and was then forced to share it with the whole group. Yeah, one person pulled out a joint, and then everybody invited their friends to the point we, we overheard, Jane overheard the girl going, I'm not even going to pretend uh, to remember any of your names. Yeah. One dude started talking about, like, a dog licking cocaine out of his nose. These people were, like, not cool people. Thumbs down. But it was a fun little uh, angle on our beach day, which was extremely fun. Oh, love living in L.A. Uh, my self-care corner is on Tuesday. I went to a club called The Satellite to see Brandon Wardell's birthday comedy show. Um, I love Brandon Wardell. He's very funny, and a bunch of my favorite comics were there, including, oh, I don't know, Bob Odenkirk yeah. from Better Call Saul did stand-up 10 feet in front of me. Man. He only does stand-up a couple times a year, and he fucking killed it, and I got to see Bob Odenkirk, who, and then Todd Glass followed him. Oh, man. I got to see my comedy dads. That's awesome. They were great. Todd Glass... Is amazing. Bob Odenkirk, Todd Glass, Kurt Brownholer, Ian Carmel. They were all great. Go check out their stand-up. It's really funny. All right. If you'd like your self-care corner to appear on the podcast, you can email us at mediamajorspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at mediamajorscast. And you know what? Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and gets our podcast a little more visible. Check out the other shows on the Major Cast Network. Yep. Last week, a new filmographers came out. It's about Kyle MacLachlan. It was really great. I have the scoop on the next month's episode. Ooh, can we get a hint? Can we get an yeah, on-air hint? I'll give you guys a hint. Let me think. Um, let's say this. He starred in the seventh movie of a series that no one thought would be good. Turned out great for a lot of the people involved. Except I don't think he got the recognition solely deserved. I'm going to guess John Boyega. Close, but no, not John Boyega, but well done. I didn't even think of that. All right, look at, yeah, everybody, I'm super excited for this new episode of the Filmographers. It's a great show. I think we're done. Everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Media Majors. We love you very much. And remember, we'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.